0: Hi guys. How are you? Good. Well, guys, uh, thank you guys for being here tonight. as we continue this sermon series, you asked for it. Uh, last week, we talked about two pretty heavy subjects, and tonight uh, the questions are equally challenging. Um, I gave Todd the opportunity to answer the question, "What is a woman's role in ministry?" So he's going to start tonight.:
1: Thank you, sir. Good evening. And I know that every single one of you have spent your day thinking about how I was going to answer this question, and I appreciate all that uh, forethought, knowledge, that you piped into my mind. Uh, I want to just kind of talk about the uh, the cultural setting uh, that the Scripture was written into. Uh, beginning with Adam and Eve and the curse upon the woman because the woman uh, uh, was the, uh, the the one who uh, kind of made the apple incident happen, and I'm, I'm kind of mad about it still, as a matter of fact, but uh, there was a, a distinct difference uh, uh, in that culture that developed in the role of the woman and the role of the man. Uh in the Old Testament days even more distinct than in the New Testament days. But women in those days were thought of as uh, second-class citizens. There was no inkling of equality, no uh, uh, credit rarely ever given to women. Uh, Women were uh, part of... uh, uh, Marriages where there may be seven or eight, polygamy. Uh, if, if you got tired of your wife, you would move another one up the ladder a little bit, and you could put her out on the street, as often happened. Women played no role in the business world, uh, and were often traded as slaves and in property. And so in order to understand the answer to this question, you've got to begin with that school of thought. This is how women were seen in Bible times. Jesus began to make that culture in relationship to women, he he began to make that school of thought change. Uh, He honored women practically everywhere he went. He invited women to be a part of, of his ministry team, in, in a sense, as they followed him around. Uh, he would talk to women in public. He healed women. He offered the same mercy, grace, and status to women as he did to men. Some of those who were closest to him were females. And the early church, well, let's just talk about what the Scripture says. In two places in the Scripture, it says this. A woman should not speak in church, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. And uh, man, wouldn't that make church go by a lot quicker and smoother? And then in Timothy, it says the same thing again, except it goes a little further and says that a woman, a woman should not be in position to teach a man. Uh, Paul also talks about uh, women wearing a head covering when they're teaching in the church. So it seems to say that he believes somehow or another that the possibility of a woman being a teacher is there. I, uh, I've got some things here on my phone I want to share with you. I'm not going to text anybody or anything right now. Or I'll wait till Blake talks to do that. <laughs> but I wanted to get these right, so I want to make sure that, uh, that I'm reading and not just talking off the top of my head. Uh, in the New Testament, especially in Paul's writing, there are also several women who seem to play very important roles in the church due to uh, the, the uh, title that Paul gives them. First is a lady named Phoebe, and uh, Phoebe is labeled as a deaconess, uh, a servant, and, and is clearly a, a leader uh, in the church and I can't hardly say this word. It's a town called Centuria, basically. So is that right, Lee? You're a Bible scholar. And if I don't say everything I need to say, Lee, you get three minutes at the end. <laughs> Priscilla and her husband, Aquila, were seen as the pastors uh, church in Ephesus. Uh, Priscilla is often listed ahead of Aquila, when their names are mentioned and to some that might mean that she not only was the pastor of that church she was the head pastor they led a guy by the name of apollos to the lord and that's where the greatest mention of them is made ladies a couple of ladies named euodia and Sintyche, uh, were were folks who were called yoke fellows or fellow laborers with paul in the advancement of the gospel. A lady by the name of Junia was one of the prisoners along with Paul or who Paul wrote to for ministering, imprisoned for ministering to the gospel. And so it, it seems to me that that there are mixed signals in the scripture. There's some very direct Words in the New Testament that say women shouldn't even speak in the church. And then there are other instances where it's very clear that they were leaders in the congregation and held various positions. And it seems to me that when we make decisions now about women and where they fit in in ministry plans, that we could use Scripture to go either direction. Amen? Fact of the matter is, it, it, it's not so much a scriptural problem, I think, in our culture today. It's, it's a cultural problem. Uh, we, we have in our mind the roles that men should play and the roles that women should play, not only in church, but in every area of life. And uh, we think it's really okay to have a female youth pastor, maybe, or a female children's pastor. We kind of have one of those, don't we? Uh, we have a, chi- a, 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 a female choir director, too. So obviously, our church has decided, and, and I think rightly so, that, that women have a, a, a place in ministry. They have gifts and skills, were called by God, ordained by God, to carry out those ministries, and they do a wonderful job. Uh, I know a lot of men, a lot of women in church, and I have always been able to tell uh, that women are equally gifted in, in leading the church in various areas. In fact, some women are better equipped or more dedicated than men. If women were not a part of our church or any church, We wouldn't have a church i talked to uh, uh, a fellow who attends petersburg baptist church and he tells me that there are about 25 people in their church and 22 of them are women and i expect that they call all the shots down there don't you so the fact of the matter is is that especially those of us who've grown up baptist now in the Methodist denomination, in the Pentecostal denomination, there are women who preach and who pastor in those, in, in those churches, also in the Presbyterian, and I could name some others. But there are very few women in ministry in our denomination. And so it is a cultural shock for us to see a woman in the pulpit somebody asked me one time, do you believe women can be ministers? And I said yes, and then they said, would you like to have a woman as your pastor? And I didn't readily say yes, because that was completely foreign to me in my experience. In seminary, when we had uh, our classes, and one of the classes we had was preaching class, there were some uh, females in our preaching class, and uh, they weren't bad. They, in fact, were terrific in the message they shared. So I think the answer to this question lies in not so much in Scripture because we could go either way. I could take these verses and preach on this topic and have a viable argument either way. I think the answer lies in how accepting a church is uh, of a woman's ministry. How, how willing they are to see that person in a role and allow her, if they choose her, to be their pastor, to minister and to give her the opportunity without bias. And I am afraid that, that many, many Southern Baptist churches, which we are, in case you didn't know that, in case you wandered in here and weren't sure where you were, I'm afraid that many of us still aren't to the point where we could readily accept that just because of how we've been raised and what we've been taught because it's a completely foreign thing to most of us. Now I know that that is not a definitive answer and I'm really glad because I don't want anybody to pin me down on this. But the fact of the matter is that, that women as early as the New Testament were in roles of ministry. And what a jump from 40 years before where women were seen as property. And the one thing I know for sure is this, whether it's behind the scenes, on the pulpit, in rooms teaching and praying and ministering, that women make up the heart of every church that I've ever been a part of. And every church that prospers is not just a result of having great male leadership, it's a result of having great female leadership as well. So however you mix all of those gifts and graces together among men and among women, it is good to know that God has placed each of us as a team together and that Women have as much a right as any man to express their opinion, to share their faith, to minister for God. It's your turn, man.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You did. I was a little bit nervous about having Todd talk about women, but he did a pretty good job. (laughs) Now, Todd seems to believe that I just call him up here to do my dirty work, but um, I actually believe that his question was pretty easy uh, comparative to this question that I have to answer uh, because it can be heavy, and the fact of the matter is um, as hard as it might be for some of us to accept, there is no clear-cut answer. I believe that there are some things in life that we just aren't meant to understand. Um, If we understood everything that God knew, then God wouldn't be so magnificent. He wouldn't be all-knowing. He wouldn't be so mighty. Um, And so for this question, what does the Bible say about suicide? Uh, Is it a sin? Do I believe it's a sin? Yes. Um, But do you lose your salvation if you're a Christian and you commit suicide? I don't know the answer to that because that is one of those things that is completely between the Father and a person. Uh, But there are a few undeniable truths that I do know. And those are the things that I want to talk to you guys about tonight. Uh, The first undeniable truth that I know and I believe to be true about God is that God always errs on the side of grace. He always errs on the side of grace. I also know that depression, oftentimes in church and in other places, uh, the clinical diagnosis of depression is looked at as a spiritual issue. I've heard Christians give advice, "If, if you just pray about it more, Then you'll be delivered from it. If you, if you just have a closer faith in God, then it'll go away. And I just want to say today that depression is not a spiritual issue as much as it is a mental issue. And thinking that it is is not only bad theology; it's dangerous. Because what you're doing is you're saying, "Just have faith. Just have faith." And when nothing happens, when they don't get better, they blame God. They feel even more inadequate even more worthy to get better. I heard a story one time about a guy who was uh, standing on top of a house and there was horrible flooding. And during this horrible flooding, uh, he was praying to God, God, please save me from this flood. Help me. And a boat came by and said, come on, man, jump on. And he said, no, no, I'm praying relentlessly that God will deliver me from this flood. And so the boat passed him by. he continued to pray and the water got up to his chin and he's crying out to God and he's saying I'm praying with faith I'm praying this bold prayer please deliver me from this flood and a second boat comes by and he says hurry up man jump on you're going to drown and he says no I have faith in God that he will deliver me and the story goes that the sky opened up and God said I sent you two boats come on man my point to that is Sometimes I believe that we pray that God would deliver us from this depression, that He would deliver us from um, this uh, suicidal thinking if we struggle with that, or if you know a person who struggles with something like that. But the reality is that I believe God does deliver us from those things, but He works through people on a daily basis. He works through doctors and scientists and people that have medicine to treat mental problems, uh, physical problems. To help us reach potential in a place where we can glorify and honor God. Um, So what does the Bible say specifically about suicide? Um, We only have a few references in the Bible uh, of people that um, participated in this. And one of the most popular stories is the story of Judas. um, Who felt such a great amount of guilt after selling out Jesus. Uh, But the one thing that we do know is that in the old times when the Bible was written that suicide was looked at to be self-murder, uh, a breaking of the Ten Commandments, and so much so that Christians who, who committed suicide in this time weren't even given proper burials uh, because this was such an unforgivable sin. And uh, I have a problem with that because so much of our religious ethics, our religious ethics are based upon fear. You follow this rule or this rule or this rule or else you're going to go to hell, And the fact of the matter is, if our salvation was dependent on how well we could follow rules, we'd all kind of be in a lot of trouble.
1: That's right.
0: In a lot of trouble. You see, Christianity, the purpose of Christianity was never about legalistic obedience. And if we're relying solely on the fear of hell to prevent suicide, God help us. The thing that pulls us back, the thing that lures Christians not to sin, any kind of sin, isn't the fear of hell, but it's the love of God. And that's what we need to be preaching as a church. The love of God, the love of the fellowship of believers that are sitting in this room. That's what we need to preach, guys, is love. The question that I constantly get is, Blake, if somebody commits suicide, how can they repent? How can they repent? You see, the problem with that is that it paints this illustration that... We lose our salvation temporarily every time we sin. And we only gain it back when we repent. So say that tonight, as I'm leaving, I I tell a lie. And on my way home, I'm in a car accident and I die. If that was true, I would go to hell. Or say today, I committed a sin and didn't even realize I committed the sin. And then I dropped dead of a heart attack. That belief would say that I go to hell. And as important as I believe continual repentance is to the Christian, we can't base our salvation upon it. We can't base our salvation upon it. So if you have a person in your life who has ended their life, who has got to that point where mentally they're not in their right mind, they've reached that that place, you can take comfort in the fact that the only thing that decides a person's salvation is if they know the Father. It doesn't matter how the person died. It doesn't matter if suicide is the way that they died. Scripture is very clear that the only way to the Father is through Jesus Christ. And we know that uh, through Paul's letters that nothing separates us from the love of the Father. That we are concealed in Him. We're protected by Him. I mean, he even lists neither death nor life. Nothing can separate us from the love of the Father. It doesn't say nothing except for suicide says nothing and the Bible says that Christians are known by their fruit love joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness and so if you know a person who has poured out those kind of spiritual gifts who looks like Jesus who has encouraged people who have lived that life I believe we can take comfort in that because God doesn't judge us on a season he looks at our heart And no one knows the mental state or where that person's heart is when they decide to make that decision. Except for God. Except for God. Now I do have to say that although we all do sin, although we all need grace, that doesn't give us a license to sin. It doesn't give us the opportunity to uh, abuse the grace that he's given us. We have to believe a fundamental truth, I think, of Christianity is that when we receive salvation, when we accept God into our life, when we fall on our face and say, God, I need you, in that moment, God forgives our sins, the past, the present, and the future. The Bible says that he paid our debt in full. And I think that that kind of grace merits a response. That response should be something like a person pursuing the Father, trying to live by his word and what he's called us to do, I don't think that response should look like a person recklessly sinning. It should never be okay for a person to make a a sin, a Christian to decide that he's going to sin. That should never be okay. With that being said, I know that my Father is gracious. And so if you are in the room tonight, and you've been there, you have struggled with depression, maybe right now tonight, you have these suicidal thoughts. I just have two things that I really want to say to you. The first thing is this you are loved far more than you know. First, you're loved by a father who created you, who knit you in your womb, who has a purpose and a plan for you and always has. I heard it said one time that you're a hundred percent successful at being alive. Mm. Right now in this moment, guys, you're 100% successful at being alive. And there's a reason for that. Every day that God decides to breathe life into you, it's because he believes that there's something that you're going to accomplish or achieve for his glory in that day. So hold on to that. Also with that, know that you're loved by me. I might not even know your name. But the whole reason that God gave us the church, the whole reason that we have fellowship, the whole reason that you guys are here right now is because we're a family. God never told us we had to live this life alone. So if you hear nothing else tonight, hear me say that first off, your life matters, and second off, you're not alone. You're not alone. The last thing that I want to say is, is this. If you're struggling with depression, get help. Seek out help. Uh, Not just through a counselor or a friend. I know that it can be difficult to talk about, but get help. Uh, There's so much pain that surrounds suicide. Uh, The reason that I believe that it's a sin is because, like Todd talked about last week, the way God determines what sin is, is the things that he saw would bring us pain in this life. And, And suicide doesn't just bring pain to that person, clearly it brings pain to him, but the people in his life. And one of those things that I know that is a truth, a definite truth is that the greater the love a person has for another person, the deeper the pain. And so the reason that there's this pain surrounding suicide, if you can take comfort in the fact that there's pain surrounding this idea is you can take comfort in the fact that there's people who love you. There's people in your life who love you and want to be there for you. Uh, it, it's kind of ironic that This question got asked this week uh, because September is the National Month for Suicide Awareness. And in fact, this last week was the official week for that. And so on the screen is the hotline. I want everybody to get out your phones. If you have a smartphone right now, please do that and program this number in your phone. I don't see anybody moving at all. (laughs) It's important. Put this number in your phone. Share it with the people in your life. If you have a Twitter or a Facebook, put it out there. And if you're struggling yourself, call this number. Call this number. Talk to Todd. Talk to me. Talk to someone. Don't keep this all inside. So to answer the question, simply say that the only thing that determines your salvation is if you have a relationship with Jesus. So tonight, I want to urge you that if you don't, you have the opportunity to. You have the opportunity to have a hope that anchors your soul. There's a a passage in Psalms, and I I think it speaks to what we're talking about tonight. It says this. It says, Oh, my soul, bless God. From head to toe, I'll bless his holy name. Oh, my soul, bless God. Don't forget a single blessing. He forgives your sins, every one. He heals your diseases, every one. This is my favorite part. He redeems you from hell, saves your life. He crowns you with love and mercy, a paradise crown. He wraps you in goodness, beauty eternal. He renews your youth. You're always young in his presence. For Todd, he likes that last part the best. Amen. (laughs) But my favorite part of that passage is, He redeems you from hell. He saves your life. Would you hold on to that truth tonight? That you have the opportunity to be redeemed? As the band comes up and they get ready to go into this time of invitation and worship and song, if you don't know the Father who redeems, I challenge you to just say, You know what, God? I need you to come into my life. I need this hope. I'm at a place that's broken, that, that's failing. I know that people fail. Circumstances will fail, but God, you never will. You can do that tonight. That relationship is available for you tonight, and God wants you. Scripture tells us that he is jealous for me. He wants your heart. That's how much the God of the universe loves you. And so if you don't have that relationship with him, would you let tonight be that moment that you surrender? During this time of invitation, you can respond in a few different ways. You can bring up your tithes and offerings and that's just representing giving back to God what he's already given to you. You can take communion. You know, communion is a a pretty cool thing because it gives you a visualization of what Jesus has done in your life. It gives you a, a reason to remember how good God is, as if we need a reason to remember that. So as you take the communion and you drink the cup, would you remember the blood that spilled out from Christ for you? The blood that covered all of your sins. Past, present, and future—that thing that paid your debt in full, that made you clean as you eat the bread. But you remember His body broken, beaten, and every single time that Roman guard lashed Him, that was Jesus saying, "I love you." That was my sin. That was the pain that I deserved upon his shoulders that's a reason for us to praise his name that's a reason for us to pursue him fervently to try to live a life seeking his purpose maybe tonight the way that you need to respond is to come up and humble yourselves on this altar and say God I can't be the Lord of my life any longer because I'm doing a pretty cruddy job I need you Maybe what you need to pray tonight is you need to come up in this altar and pray. Pray a radical prayer of hope for a person in your life who you know is suffering from depression. Guys, we're a family. Family prays for family. And if you've been hurt by harsh words in a church in regards to this topic, I apologize. maybe what you need to pray about is that God would give you peace about that too whatever it is as Chris sings would you just respond would you stand and sing this next song we're going to sing tells the whole kind of story of uh, the gospel of what happened uh, in Jesus' life and how he was sacrificed for us um, all the bad that happened to him for our sake.